Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the V-Suit Podcast. We've been enjoying a summer break, but now we're back. The sunburn has eased off, the hangover subsided, and Ed's returned from the doctors to find out that that suspicious rash was just dried ketchup. (laughs) It's a weird (laughs) intro now. (laughs) We're joined today by fellow V-expert and blogger who's not just a guru, he's actually a guru. Guru Simran Kalsa, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. It's good to be here. That's great to have you on. Um, so, yeah, what have, what have you been up to recently? Anyth- anything particularly new and, and great in your world? Uh, just a little bit of travel for work. Um, you know, been spending a lot more time on the EMC side of my uh, my focus than on VMware, so I'm looking forward to getting some VMware projects coming up soon. All right, so just, just down, down and dirty at the storage layer at the moment. Yeah, um, I guess the other big thing is I've been trying to work on my uh, VCDX design. Um, okay, I, so you've you, you, you've done your done all your VCAPs, um, yeah. Accepted that we've now got a new randomly assigned number, which has nothing to do with <laughs> the fourth person in the world to do the beta, and I'm not bitter about it at all. Um, <laughs> actually, I, I don't I don't really mind. It was just a nice thing to be able to say, yeah, I was number four. Um, yeah, but. Uh, yeah, so the the design. How's that going? Is it, uh, you know, we spoke really to- slow. It's really slow. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if any of you guys have ever tried putting, you know, putting together a design for you know. I mean, I guess if you if you're doing it for a customer, it's it's one thing. But I, I'm kind of having to combine a customer design with a fictional design in order to make it something that's that'll meet all of the requirements. And I'm just having a hell of a time just getting started. You know, it's so. Yeah, it seems to be the the tricky bit is that no, there's no one perfect customer that would satisfy the the entire spectrum of VCDX requirements. So you've got to take one that's fairly close and embellish it, and then embellish it in a realistic fashion, not just right. something decide that they want to use SRM because it was on the blueprint. Um. <laughs> yeah, the, I mean, one of the things that's been that, that was interesting is like the the customer that I was looking at using. Um, one of them, for, they they kind of had somewhat of an unlimited budget, which is, I mean, not obviously not unlimited, but but budget wasn't very much of a constraint, and so I, the thing that I've had a challenge with is going back and and adjusting it so that they do have constraint like. That budget is a constraint, and you know, kind of basically just mucking things up and making it a little bit more difficult so that the design is more interesting. So that's an interesting position to be in, though, as a consultant. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, I mean, it, it doesn't always end up that way, but the the design that I'm looking at was the the best candidate for. Of of the things that I've worked on, it's is the best candidate for a VCDX design. Yeah. And I actually have had, I, surprisingly enough, I've actually had two designs that are like that. Um, that where the you know the the customer or or in or in the other case where the customer had already they'd already picked kind of the same hardware that I would have picked, but they'd already selected everything. So you know there was no no choice involved to begin with, um, yeah, which is again that's part of the you know what you have to do for a design. So 
So sorry, you were saying, Christian. Yeah, it makes it hard for you to kind of, uh, even though it's the same kind of uh, hardware that you would have uh, chosen, it, it makes it hard for you to uh, set the requirements that ultimately lead to that hardware design. Exactly. So, so it, 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 yeah, well, I, I guess it's, it's a good thing to work with uh, customers who don't have uh, budgetary issues, but at the same time, it makes it a bit harder sometimes to to figure out what what's what the actual best solution is. Yeah, and it's I mean the thing that's that's interesting too is you know with these customers they've had budget issues elsewhere, but just not in relation to the you know the the VMware portion of the design. I mean I have I have one customer where you know one of them where it's they've they're not interested in they don't want to pay any money for power in their current data center doesn't have the power requirements and so it's you know we keep just going round and round of, of how we're going to manage to you know shuffle their power around to make it work in their existing data center but you know they bought all the hardware that that uh, I would have picked so yeah. so interesting set of constraints yeah. I suppose that when a customer does have you know a a large budget or you know a budget that is to all intents and purposes not limited um, it's the inherent risk that you know because they feel that you know they've given you all the budget that you need that you absolutely have to deliver the the absolute best solution, a real sort of you know tier zero type solution. Um, because they feel well, we, you know we've spent all this money up, therefore it's got to be the best it could ever be. Um, and if for some reason it doesn't deliver on that, um, and you know for for example, I had a customer that had purchased. Uh, an extremely expensive SAN. I mean, they'd spent seven figures, you know, several several lots of seven figures on it, and um, its actual performance wasn't particularly good for any one particular thread. It, its skill in the was that it could process, you know, uh, parallel lots and lots and lots of threads, and they had a cheap SAN which was actually performing faster for an individual job, and they were a little bit annoyed that they'd spent a massive amount of money, but the customer perception, their perception was that the cheaper sound was faster. Right. Um, so I suppose that's one thing that you could put in a, as you know, something that is a little bit complex about uh, an unlimited requirement is that just because they bought the best, the most expensive doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the best in every single category. Right. It kind of, yeah, turns, uh, it kind of turns a constraint into a risk, actually. Yeah. Which is an interesting approach to it. Yeah, that is an interesting way to think about it. And I mean, one of the maybe another angle that you could take with it is um, sometimes when customers decide what they want, as opposed to letting someone come in and help them figure out what would what would meet their needs, they they don't always they don't always make very good choices, like. I, I was just reading a, a post this morning from uh, Josh Townsend about a, uh, a view troubleshooting exercise he went through where this customer had, they just bought a brand new um, all-flash SAN and uh, they'd rolled out a few hundred desktops and they were having all kinds of problems and the, the, the way that one of them, the, their biggest issue was manifesting itself was in uh, PCOIP dropped packets and he walked through the whole thing of um, 
his his troubleshooting steps and how he went through and figured out what the issue was. And it, interestingly enough, it turned out that it actually had nothing to do with network, that it was uh, a storage problem and an issue with dro- like old drivers on their HBAs. Hmm. Um, but one of the things that he said at the end was how they'd went out and bought this all flash SAN. It turned out that, you know, it wasn't the SAN that was a problem, but it didn't fix what their issue was. And they probably would have been fine just using their existing SAN instead of buying a new one. So, hmm. Yeah. You can get into a lot of interesting issues, uh, regardless of, I guess what you end up utilizing in your your design, there there are always some tripwires somewhere uh, yeah. that bound to hit it at some point at any given time. So, I guess the uh, the uh, the design part of something might not actually be the most difficult thing. Uh, it might actually be to figure out why it doesn't perform to uh, the expectations that the design that the design delivers. Yeah, right. buying something new. I don't. Yeah, I don't usually buy something new, hoping that it'll fix the problem. <laughs> yeah. That's kind of that's kind of dangerous. Yes, particularly if you is expensive. Yeah. 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 Sort of a, a speculative troubleshooting. Yeah. yeah. They, uh, in the in the automotive industry, they call that uh, a parts replacer, which is where you know when you go. I worked as a mechanic before when I was in high school, and they they talked about the idea of you know when you go into a shop rather than somebody troubleshooting your problem, you you come in and you say you know hey my car won't start and they they'll be like oh okay let's replace your battery oh that didn't work okay let's replace your starter oh that didn't work okay let's replace this. But in the end, in that scenario, it doesn't matter because the customer's paying for all of it. <laughs> so. <laughs> And the constraint is that they they won't get the car back unless they do. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm glad you two guys aren't my mechanics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should be at least. For me. I, um, I can barely start my car, so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I would probably replace your windshield or something. I, would, I don't know. Yeah, f- fill up the screen wash or something. Let's yeah. try a new hood ornament. <laughs> that actually, that, wasn't there a really a classic sort of old story about that, about a guy who had uh, car starting problems, and he would be he'd, um, drive drive home, stop at the store, and if he went to get one product, uh, he sort of isolated it. He stops at the store, would buy one product. Get back, and his car would start. Would not start. If he then bought a different product, um, then mystically his car would start, and it turned out to be ice cream. It was if he bought vanilla ice cream, his car his car wouldn't start. If he bought chocolate ice cream, it would. Turns out that there was like a the the carburetors were flooded, and it needed just a, just that few seconds longer to drain the carbs back down. Uh, and the the chocolate ice cream was at the other end of the refrigerator, so it took that few seconds longer, and his trip took, you know, it took slightly longer. Uh, and as a result, his car would start if he bought chocolate ice cream and not uh, vanilla ice cream. <laughs> so you know, troubleshooting: buy more ice cream. Uh-huh. <laughs> or the equivalent today is basically buy more flash storage. 
stuff, <laughs> everything. Or so that flash your storage is chocolate ice cream. cream. Is that what you're trying to tell me? Yeah, flash. flash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So or that makes the perfect spring. What? I couldn't get any of that. Everybody was talking over everybody. <laughs> no, I was saying, so if, if, if flash storage, by that uh, analogy, is chocolate ice cream, then buying something like Pernix Data is just sprinkles on top of chocolate ice cream. Yeah, there you go. I, I have a feeling Frank Dunneman might be a bit... I, I, I'm not sure he would agree with us there. <laughs> uh, yeah, because the Dutch put sprinkles on bread, not ice cream. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and I have it with them in the caravans. <laughs> Which makes no sense. Have it with them where? <laughs> I've watched watched way too much Top Gear. Uh, but caravans, is, yeah, caravans. Yes, I, I thought a Dutch caravan was a like you know, colloquial term for something. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. The thing is, I actually verified, or my son actually verified that because he he uh, saw a Dutch caravan. Uh, on the parking space outside our local grocery store, and he went over and, and looked in the win- in the windows. He, he actually saw a packet of chocolate sprinkles. <laughs> so he he sort of on his own researched that. Yeah, that's that part of Top Gear is actually true. Oh, fair enough. So one point for Jeremy Clarkson, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, um, at the moment, you know, in terms of it being sort of fairly quiet on the, the news front. Um, I, d- I do think, you know, is this just the, the calm, the annual calm before VM world where everyone's sort of racking up their announcements, they're get- getting ready to do something big at VM world or um, presumably a competitor's trying to time it just before VM world to try and steal a little bit of their thunder or, you know, we've already had uh, Google have dropped some of their, their big announcements now. This, the, to, to start the dongle wars, as I believe uh, some journalists have called it, with the new um, Chrome Chromecast. Sounds like a nice idea. Yeah, Chromecast looks really cool. I was watching the Google I.O. announcements yesterday. Yeah, uh, I just wonder if, if, if someone... If, if there's an SDK which allows you to broadcast something to a screen, it could be quite a handy way for you know people who are wanting to do monitoring or presentations. You know, nice cheap cheap way instead of having to um, you know get long HDMI cables or these sort of video uh, rebroadcast stuff. Because I see loads of uh, fun and games uh, presentations of particularly where people have got um, ultrabooks with a HDMI adapter. And everywhere's video is running on VGA, um, and if you've got a long cable, apparently those sort of HDMI to USB adapter, VGA adapters don't seem to work very well. And I'm, I'm always having to loan my big uh, paving slab of a laptop to um, normally the the manager who's come with his flash ultrabook, which can't actually connect it to the projector. <laughs> So I wonder whether someone could hack something like Chrome, you know, the Chromecast as an alternative way. You know, all you just do is just browse to it. You know, broadcast your um, PowerPoint presentation straight to a projector. I think Bas Raymond does something like that with his uh, Apple TV. I, I think he. he I, I read something he wrote about that a, a while ago. I, I, something called. 
uh, an idea to make your presenter life easier on the road or something. Right. Uh, where he yeah. actually uses AirPlay and an Apple TV that he carries with him uh, to project to the to the screen he's presenting on. That's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the the Chromecast. Like, I mean, the Apple TV idea I think works, but it's it's kind of a bit clunky. I mean, you're yeah. you know carrying around an Apple TV that you've got to plug into power and then plug into the TV. I mean, the the Chromecast thing is. Is slick if you could just you know you stick it into the projector or the TV or whatever, and then you're up and running. Yeah, yeah I, wonder many, about it. I wonder how many uh, publicly available Chromecast uh, dongles we will be able to scan the internet for in a while. With <laughs> potentially, like driving a Dutch caravan, I guess. Absolutely, <laughs> 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 but. There was, yeah, I mean, that's a potential security risk, I guess, is that if you can get onto a wireless network and there happens to be a Chromecast on it, because presumably they're not going to have that much in the way of authentication, that there is the, the possibility to broadcast nefarious images uh, <laughs> uh, and, and content um, to what may be the TV on the stage at a school. Or some, you know, somewhere where it really shouldn't be shouldn't be seen. Um, Sorry, I just I lost it on the the, the usage nefarious images. <laughs> um, it, it could be interesting. Um, it could be a force for good or a for, a force for mischief. I'm not too sure. I'm pretty sure what it would be, but okay. Yeah. I, mean. <laughs> I wonder how much of that people have experienced with. Uh, Apple TVs up to this point because it's it's kind of a similar situation. I mean, every time that you know I walk into somebody's house, um, that where they you know if I get on their Wi-Fi network, I always get the little thing like if I'm in iTunes or whatever that pops up that says that I could play whatever I'm playing. Yeah, you, you know, can, through their Apple TV. Yeah. Okay, so there's Apple TV doesn't have any sort of native authentication. Either. I don't think so. I think once you get on the, if you're on the same Wi-Fi network as it, I think you can, Ooh. you can just broadcast to it. So, yeah. I suppose that, that could be could be a concern. I suppose you know, um, again, a potential mischief if people if they're using this sort of thing at um, uh, trade shows. It will be a great thing to use at a trade show, particularly if you're using like a sketch type application on a tablet and you can broadcast <laughs> that to a. Uh, a TV, but it could be broadcast to someone else's stand, for example, and again, potential for for mischief um, or you know commentary commentary on someone's presentation whilst they're doing it. <laughs> I I think Bass should be careful now. <laughs> yeah, he's he's gonna. That's gonna be like the most protected Wi-Fi network in Germany, isn't it? <laughs> Plenty of uh, drawing a cock on Baz's presentation whilst he's trying to do one. And there's the, the plenty of nefarious images floating around in Germany, by the way. <laughs> so, so, so back, back to back to the the ser serious, uh, serious business of of DevOps. Uh, <laughs> Mm -hmm. yeah, these, you know, take, taking a sharp turn, so not so much of a segue as a sort of a Batman um, 
anchor anchor on a lamppost and right turn. Um, <laughs> Have you guys read the? Any of you read the Phoenix Project? I haven't. Yet. I, I have it. I have it on my Kindle, but I haven't read it yet. Yeah, I have not. Actually, I I, I read about it the first time you uh, you sent it about it. <laughs> to be honest. Oh, okay. How about you, Chris? Uh, I haven't, and I don't know. I think it's because I'm not. I wouldn't describe myself as as much of a DevOps person. It's 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 a um, a discipline which I don't. Th- it doesn't personally appeal to me. I, I'm interested to know a bit more about it, and perhaps I, I can be swayed on it. I mean, we had um, when we had Nick Weaver on. He he was sort of coming from a very DevOps point of view, and um, whilst I can see there is value in it. Um, yeah, it's perhaps it's perhaps it's just me and my my old age and, and beginning of senility. But I didn't didn't really um, sort of click with me. I haven't had a light bulb moment with it uh, as of yet. Well, the the thing for me that really helped with that was was reading the Phoenix Project because I I really had no idea what DevOps was before I read that. Um, so I, I'd recommend I'd recommend anybody in IT to read it if only just to kind of broaden your horizons a little bit. And it's, I don't, I wouldn't recommend that part of the reason that I recommend reading it is that it's, it's a really easy read because it's, it's written in a fictional style as opposed to, um, you know, kind of a textbook style. It's, it's much more like a, no, I mean, it, it is a novel basically. Um, and, my, my experience with DevOps up until now, with the different shops I've seen operating, are it seems like it's a structure that's they're always working on it, but it's never fully in place. But this, yeah, I could that the case with most development methodologies is that they're designed to not actually be fully in place and always be being replaced. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whether, to me, whether it's an agile scrum cascade or waterfall. Well, the the thing with DevOps that I took to be kind of different from the way from most other, and I don't, I actually don't even know a whole lot about the other development methodologies. But DevOps didn't seem so much to me to be like a development methodology methodology as as much as it was just kind of a, a different way of thinking about how development and operations can work together. Mm. Um, it, it's as it's, little as possible. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and and really, you know, like speaking to that, you know, that that's usually the standard way that people feel like, you know, feel about development and operations is, you know, they'll, they'll either one of them, the the less that they talk to each other, the better. But if you if you think about the the challenges of organizations, you know, in most places where it's you know, people talk about how you know developers basically like you know lob code into the operations area is like as if they were lobbing grenades in. You know, it's like here, take this. You know, and usually, you know, if it doesn't work, it's like, hey, well, it worked in development. It's your problem now. So, and then just you know, and then with from the operations side of things, um, not not doing more to make it it easier for the developers, you know, giving them an, a development environment that 
that would be exactly the same as production and always be exactly the same as production. Um, so, but is, isn't the the massive assumption of that is that you're in an organization that actually does development? Um. Yes, that I mean sounds obviously like a really silly question, but so yeah, I'm, well, so yeah, I'm, obviously you buy you, software package off the off the shelf, minor customizations by the software vendor, and they go and operate it because their their job is whatever widgets they produce or services they provide. They're not there to write software. They if they want software, they'll buy it from a software house. Yeah, um, that that's definitely the case. I mean, if if you don't have developers, then yeah, you don't you don't need to worry so much about DevOps. Um, the the thing that I've found is in in almost any size organization, it seems like there's there's some piece of software where you know some internal software that they use for something, or some piece of software that they found from somewhere, but they have to constantly customize or adjust or update or configure or whatever that that you end up in kind of that developer operations yeah. uh, situation. Yeah, I suppose that, that comes down to you know whatever the, the CIO sort of strategy and methodology. Um, I've, I have worked for a company that they decide they uh, they used to go down the the route of buying a off the shelf package uh, and customizing it, and then gave up with that. Um, actually, purchased the source code for that product, um, and rewrote it, and then just moved every application in house, even down to their uh, service desk software. They decided to write their own. Um, and I couldn't help but think they just ended up spending a lot of time reinventing this round thing. I think they call it a wheel. <laughs> um, but obviously, you know, they, they, they were doing wheel 2.0, um, which in their minds was better. And I suppose ultimately they, they were happier. Whether it made the business run better or not, I'm not too sure. I was only, I suppose I was almost doing some of that, that DevOps kind of thing, and I was working very closely with the developers when they did a release, um, as they're from the, this was back in my SQL DBA days. So I was trying to make sure that applications went in smoothly, um, had to be aware of the whole stack uh, that they were running on. Um, and then when, as you say, the grenade did come over the fence, making sure that they'd remember to pull the pin out first. <laughs> yeah, well... I'd still, for all of you guys, I'd recommend reading. Just check out the Phoenix Project. I, you know, it's start. Re, you know, read the first chapter. I think they have an excerpt available, and that sounds like a, a good one to uh, to dip into if I uh, I get stuck at an airport. I've been working my way through uh, a fair number of sort of um, IT related books, but not necessarily, you know, sort of specifically technology-based ones um, spread sort of the um, the book about uh, written by Steve Wozniak uh, called I Was um, it's a bit of it, you know, sort of how basically sort of how Apple started um, hmm. that was quite an interesting read oh cool so sort of back, back from the days when they were doing selling the, uh, the phone freaking boxes and things like that uh, sort of right. the late 70s so quite uh, Quite interesting stuff. Yeah, that, that stuff worked up until the uh, early nineties here in Norway, so that was kind of fun. Huh. 
Oh, what, so the whole sort of blue box, black box type things. Yeah, the yeah. Phone network was all based yeah. on that sort of AT and T. We had a lot of fun with uh, the phone network in Norway back in the day. <laughs> uh, I don't think Telenor knew that when they hired me, though. So I, I better not say too much. Poacher <laughs> <laughs> turned gamekeeper. <laughs> yeah, I'm, or- I'm originally from the U.S., so no comment. Uh, absolutely no comment. <laughs> <laughs> For legal reasons, no one has ever done. Yeah. It, it was a synthesizer uh, built for... Uh, uh, that was the thing. So apparently one day they got caught with a box of these blue or black boxes that were essentially a sort of a synthesizer that could synthesize the, the various tones. Um, and they managed to convince the policeman that had stopped them that they were sort of for music. Uh, and this was just at the time, like Moog had bought out their synthesizers and uh, managed to get away with it, but were absolutely convinced that they were going to jail. Um, but they... Uh, Yes, managed managed to get away with it and formed an even more criminal enterprise called Apple. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, they got away with it all right, I guess. So are you guys going to VMworld? Unfortunately not. Uh, Ed, you've been known to go out to the US one from time to time. Uh, not the US one. I'm not even sure, to be honest, if I'll make it to the Europe one this year. Ah. Yeah, it's, uh, obviously back, back to Barcelona. Um, it would be nice to go go to the States again, but uh, I, I don't know what... I mean, from VMware, obviously, they've VMware have got the, the ne- next version of ESX. There's a reasonable chance that's going to be released there. Um, but, you know, is, is this going to be all around this whole sort of software-defined marketing um, as much as 2000 and... Uh, what was the year where everything was... where they really launched the whole concept of cloud or decided that they launched the whole concept of cloud? Was it 2009 or 2010? 10, I think. I think 10, uh, yeah. It, it was the one I, I attended, actually, in Copenhagen. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's all, all very cloudy. Yeah. Um, and do, do you think there's going to be the same sort of spin on... On things are they are they going to be talking about the the networking stack side of it? Uh, you know, VMware going to give any exposure to things like OpenStack? Well, because I've never seen sort of an OpenStack stand anywhere. Uh, they seem to have their own little conferences somewhere. Presumably, it's a bit like a hipster conference. You know, if you know where it is, then if you don't know where it is, then you're not cool enough to know about the product. How <laughs> um, <laughs> is it? The last one was in Portland, so that's that's definitely pretty hipster. Yeah, that's that's definitely hipster. I mean, that's that's fully you know, if your jeans are not absolutely skin tight, they will not let you in. <laughs> you yeah, and you got to have a pair of black frame. If you don't have black frame glasses, you also <laughs> are not admitted. <laughs> I would guess that this year they they're probably going to talk. Well, they've. They haven't said specifically, but it, it seems like they're going to announce the um, or release the NSX product, the Nicira, whatever. I think it's called NSX. Yeah. Um, so it's now. Uh, were they going to release that as part of part of one of the various suites? I mean, they seem VMware seems to be all about the bundle at the moment. It's the you know you can't just buy a single part of the product. You've got to buy the shop. Um, so do you think they'll they'll sell this as a standalone or? I think they're going to have to. I think it, 
I think it'll be part of a suite as well, but I would think they're going to have to because it, it, I'm pretty sure that with, well, actually, I, I know that with Nicira, part of what it could do was that it can, it can work with other hypervisors. Um, yeah, so that, that was kind of one of the, uh, the messages VMware had when they bought it as well, was that they were kind of moving into the multi-hypervisor uh, multi kind of field as well. Right. So I, I, I think you're, you're onto something there. I don't think they would, would, would only sell that as a part of a bundle because it, it reaches a, a, a broader segment of the, uh, of the data centers than the ones only running on, on vSphere. So. Yeah. And that also brings us a little bit to uh, VMware's investment in OpenStack. Yeah, sort of, you know, the, the more... I mean, would it make sense to sell it with um, what's the terrible name they've given for Dynamic Ops? Is it v <laughs> VCloud Automation Center. VCAC, which is rude. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, Dynamic Ops Justice. They, uh, VMware wants us to to talk about that as VCake. VCake. Yeah. Yeah. For some reason. I can't think why not. Uh, yeah, so dynamic ops. Um, so yeah, it would, would it make sense to sell it with that because that's obviously their multi hypervisor orchestration and management product. That does seem like it would be kind of a fit. I mean, maybe that'll end up being one of the suites that they that they come out with. But as you say, I mean, does that then presumably NSX? will conform part of an OpenStack one because OpenStack, as I understand it, only really uses um, standalone ESX components. It doesn't make use of any virtual center or anything like that. It just uses well, them as pure hypervisor. Is that, was that right? Uh, yeah, you need, uh, you need to have, if you want to use HA and all that, of course you need a, uh, a vCenter in the background there, but it's not really directly interfacing with, with vCenter. Yeah, okay. So, would, um, presumably, can you do high availability at the OpenStack controller stage so it, it can spin up, not quite fault tolerance, but does OpenStack have the ability to spin up multiple VMs on different uh, nodes and fail over between them? Or is that left down at the hypervisor level? Um, I believe there. Well, there's the the has software virtualization and so and uh, other stuff like that. So you can you can build HA into OpenStack. Yeah, that's that's what, because that's what I figured about. I mean, OpenStack is not quite a DIY Amazon, is it? Or is no? It? Because like for instance, if you're using Zen, sir, Zen or or KVM or so. Um, you're going to have a clustered Zen and KVM type of thing in the background, but OpenStack also provides provides some some high availability. Ah, uh, okay, that makes sense. If you guys are interested in in learning more about um, OpenStack or kind of getting started with it, the the V Brown bags um, are doing a, a couch to. Couch to OpenStack uh, series that just kicked off a little bit ago. So. Okay, yeah, it's it's been a while since I've I've had a listen to those because uh, it was really hard to get onto them live. 
Uh, I, I obviously did the Amir brown bag now, but uh, I've yeah, got yeah, Mr. Robinson, Robertson has been yeah. uh, putting together. Yeah, all the all the recordings are available on iTunes, and I actually need to upload the the most recent three shows. But yeah, the the rest of them are all up on iTunes. Okay, that's worth worth having a peek at. Definitely. So that was episode thirty-five of VC. Um, we talked about nefarious images. We talked about OpenStack. Uh, what's due to be coming up at VMworld, and um, recommendations to go and read uh, the Phoenix Project. Uh, GS, thank you very much for your time. It's been uh, great to record with you, and we look forward to meeting you soon. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's been great. Okay, thanks a lot. You can catch us on. Uh vsoup.net, Stitcher, or iTunes.